0: Open our lips, O Lord, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. Amen. By faith, Abraham and Sarah set out for a place they were to receive as an inheritance. And they set out not knowing where they were going. I love that sentence. I love the presumption of it. I love the audacity of it. I mean, think about it. If some friend of yours came and said, oh, we're going on a journey, and you say, well, where are you going? You'd say, well, we're not really sure where we're going. You'd think, really? In this day of GPS and Google Maps, you don't know where you're going. Or if you have kids, and your kids came and said, we're going somewhere where I don't know, well, you know what you'd be thinking. And yet, Sarah and Abraham are called heroes of our faith because they went out, without any idea where they were going. And when the writer says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, those words assurance and conviction are not feeling words. They're not emotion words. They're function words. They, it's kind of hard to translate, but they're more towards verb than noun. They're about how we choose to act, not how are we feeling. Because faith isn't like, do you have faith? Do you feel it? No? Okay. Well, then we'll wait for tomorrow. It's about knowing, what am I going to do? Faith, as someone said in the Wednesday Bible study, they said, you know, doubt doesn't seem to be the opposite of faith. Doubt seems to be part of faith. And I thought, man, that's, that's wise. Because you can be unsure of something, you can have doubts about something, and yet still choose to go toward it. You don't have to feel it to move, to act. And so the writer here is saying, faith is not a noun, it's a verb. It's about what we choose to do. Look at Sarah and Abraham. The angel comes, we're getting kind of the glimpse of part of the story, to say, here is what I'm doing through you. And when Abraham is listening to the visitors who have come, and they're sitting in the tent, and Sarah's outside the tent, she starts laughing. Yeah, right, 80 years old. We've said this many times, you know, you couldn't have come when I was 20. Is there some delay in the, in the cosmos that when my body could have done this thing without, well, you know, well, I don't know, I'm a guy. But she laughs and isn't turned into a pillar of fire. Abraham's like, how can this be? And God says, what, you don't think it's in you? Just start going forward and see what takes place. And so they, who are still snickering as they're packing their bags, go on the way and leave their home. And they go in such a way looking for something that we're told that neither they nor their grandchildren, their kids, nobody will actually inherit the promise. They'll all be on the way toward the promise. They'll all be living in tents all living as gypsies, all living as sojourners, and yet still choosing to go forward toward the promise. Again, faith is a verb, not a noun. It's something we do, not something we have. And so I find myself wondering, so where does that capacity come from, that capacity to go regardless of what we're feeling or thinking? the capacity to move, the capacity to live in tents while we're moving toward the promise, the capacity to live loosely and not clinging onto what we expect or the timetable we expect. What does it take to go somewhere when you have no idea where you're going? There's a few thoughts. Well, actually, there are many thoughts in this passage. This Hebrews passage is like an array, it's a banquet of food for a community of faith being on a journey. But at least a couple things stand out to me. From a distance they saw and greeted the promise. Meaning they had their gaze set far. They didn't get real crazy about what was right before them. They didn't watch the evening news and say, well, this must be all the truth there is to see because this is what's right here. But they had their gaze on that vision of the city of God, the country of God, and what the undergirding values and foundations of that city are. And they not only had their gaze on it, but they greeted it from afar. They received it. The language is saying they took it into their bodies. What that means is as a community of faith, we look and we gaze in the long direction at the long arc, and we take it into our bodies and act from that. They saw the promise, and they took it into their souls. They took in by looking at the long gaze and accepted the realities of things like if anybody is not free, then really none of us are free because when we look at that city, what that city is is a place where everybody is free. They looked at that far city, and they said, there's no sense that any of us have a part of the promise if somebody doesn't have a part of the promise because that city is where everybody participates in the promise. And so they gazed from afar and they took it into their bodies and said, this is how we're going to live. And we're going to go sojourning until all of us experience the promise. But it's not only just the seeing from afar There's this other great sentence there, and it says, In so doing, they confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. As they went forward, they expected that they would feel like outsiders, that they would not feel that they were at home. They expected a certain restlessness, Didn't mean they never had fun in their lives, they didn't celebrate, but that they expected that there would always be a certain disquietude, a dissatisfaction, because they were looking out far at the city of God, and then they were looking here and saying, we're not there yet, and we're not just going to sit back and say, I guess it's somebody else's work. In doing so, they made it clear that they were seeking a homeland, different from this one. So I find myself wondering, what, what, how would our lives, how would our lives as a faith community make it clear to the community around us that we are not satisfied with this world? What do you suppose it would take for someone outside this community to go, it's obvious that all souls is not satisfied with this world? They made it clear in their lives. How do our lives manifest that? And what does that look like? They desired a better country, the writer says. Seeing from afar, expecting that we are going to feel like strangers, that's certainly how Jesus lived. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Great, let's go. But don't expect to feel comfortable. Understand there's going to be some dissatisfaction. Understand that not everyone's going to get excited about this. And so this journeying seems to have at least one other thing to it that someone brought up in Bible study on Wednesday. And they said, you know, this kind of sojourning as a faith community means you have to love adventure. And again, I thought, amen, right on. If you're going to live this way, if we as a community of faith are going to live this way, we have to love adventure. We have to love a reality because what adventure means in reality is that there's going to be just as many setbacks as there are fruitful periods. There's going to be just as much stumbling as there are tasting the promise. And it means we have to love both the fruitful times and the stumbling because the stumbling means we're on the way a hunger, a thirst for adventure, which gets back eventually to resiliency and venturing out where we have no idea we're going. And so I find myself wondering, what sustains that sense of adventure? What sustains resiliency? What calls forth resiliency? Who in your lives call forth and sustain resiliency and adventure? When I was living in Jackson for about four years, um, I had been studying with this gentleman named Edwin Friedman, who was both a rabbi and a therapist. He focused a lot on, on systems theory, family systems theory, field theory, and about how, well, if you want to know what family systems theory is about, just think about going home for the holidays. Yeah. I mean, for some folks, it's like, yeah, I can't wait to get there. Other folks, it's like, other oh, folks, like, are you kidding me? Because one we know is when we get back, there's something that takes place when all those parts get together. When any group of people get together, a system of relationships gets created. And Ed was fascinated by how that is not just true in our families of origin, but how that's true for systems like congregations who create their systems when we all connect And so I very much was appreciating getting to study with him. We would go up twice a year to D.C., and there'd be a small group of clergy that would meet twice a year for several days, like a Monday through a Wednesday. And we'd bring some of our own stuff that we were wrestling with, and we had to work on our own families of origin. My sister's here. Uh, We'll save those stories for later. (laughs) But one thing that Ed was always about was the place of challenge and resiliency. And Ed said, whenever you, if you're part of a community of faith or a community or an organization or you personally are facing some decisions, go to the place of more challenge. Go to the place that's going to challenge you more because it's going to do at least two things. It's certainly going to teach you about resiliency because you're going to screw up more than taking the safe route. And so you're going to learn about getting back up. And in so doing, you're going to learn the second thing. You're going to learn more about what's in you. So it was time to go again in the fall. Well, I decided I would keep studying for with him because um, I wanted to do some other continuing ads, But I, well, I thought I'll stay with Ed for maybe another couple of years because I was starting to interview for jobs, and I thought I'm going to stick with Ed through this interview process of finding, trying to find a job, and then stay there for the first year I'm in a new place to have these clergy and Ed as a resource of how I deal with all this transition. And was getting ready when I was again, still in Jackson to go up for a trip and. I got a call on the Thursday before we were to meet the next week and someone who was part of the leadership group for the seminar said, "Um, I'm calling you to let you know, Ed has died of a heart attack. Now, part of Ed's family of origin is that none of the men in his family got out of their 50s because of heart disease in that family. And he was now in his late 60s and was really trying to keep breaking that mold himself. But it finally caught up with him. And so they said, um, "We're still going to meet next week because we're going to talk about where we go from here." And his service is on Sunday, and the family wants everyone who's coming up—if you're here on Sunday—to please come to the service and then go to the graveside, and then come to the home afterwards to sit shiva. And so after the service, we found ourselves at the graveside, and it was time to—they they invited anyone who wanted to shovel dirt onto Ed's coffin. And as I was going there and I was thinking about all kinds of stuff about history with Ed, but as I was shoveling and pouring that dirt on his coffin, I will admit that what I said to Ed inside my body was, Ed, you weren't supposed to leave this early. I know, that's incredibly immature, but it's what I said. I said, you weren't supposed to leave. Ed loved honesty. And as soon as I finished that statement, I heard this voice come up inside of me that said, What's the matter? You don't think it's in you? And I thought, it's true. You can preach from the dead. You can preach from the grave that Ed was still challenging us from the grave because that was his mantra again and again. You don't think you're up to the challenge. Sarah and Abraham, you don't think you're up to this? Communities of faith, don't you know what's in you? You don't think you can get there. Hmm. What feeds a value of adventure? Well, if nothing else, the fact that we have seen a better land and we won't settle for this one. And surrounding ourselves with folks who call us to challenge adventure resiliency. And is there any text better for our time? We have talked in this community about this really has been our koinonia journey. We set out thinking we knew where God was calling us. We were going to come up and find a project. And God said, yeah, go on. And you're going to find yourselves going where you hadn't expected because you really don't know where you're going. And in fact, what I'm going to do is take you on an inward journey of looking at racial equity, at looking at whiteness, and how it is that you participate in that, and how it is that the structures and institutions of our country are just permeated with this. And yes, this is about an outward walk, but it's about the both and of your inward transformation that has to take place throughout this journey, not just one year or two years. And we found that we went out not knowing where God was leading us, and we're still learning that. Listening, learning, We have been called on this journey. We have been called to recognize where supremacy exists in our culture. We have been called to recognize that the actions of our president are not new. They have existed in the institutions and structures of this country from our foundations and they still manifest today. If anything, our president is just making us be honest about it. Economics, legal system, education. And the fact of the matter is at some point we have to let go what we're feeling about it and just get on with it. Faith is demanding both the inward journey and the outward choosing to go towards that city that is the life and soul of God. If we are going to confront gun violence in this country, we have to do it from this place, from seeing that city And like Abraham and Abraham's children and Abraham's grandchildren, we may not realize the full promise, but it's no excuse for not being on the journey. They understood that. God understands that. We are called to live as that city demands because we have seen a better country. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, making it clear in their lives that they desired a better country. We see that land from a distance, and it is for us to desire that better country, and not only desire it, but walk towards it.